Good morning, everyone. It's uh, always a pleasure to uh, come back to uh, Carrick and to see familiar faces. Um, although I have to admit that I'm always more nervous coming back to Carrick than I am preaching any other place. Uh, and that's because I'm always scared that I'm going to be going back to Antrim alone. Um, Tracy might have chosen to stay and remain here again, but uh, hopefully she'll choose to come home with me once more. Um, that would be great. Um, let me take some liberty uh, while I'm at the front. Um, just to mention one thing about the college. We have recently uh, launched this new prayer initiative, uh, Pray Without Ceasing, a small daily prayer diary that works through different aspects of the work of the college, uh, one for each day, designed so that you can uh, use it alongside your daily readings or, or maybe pick one week of the month to pray for the college or, or perhaps even as a church or a home group, um, take a week and pray for different aspects of the college. Um, so I'm not sure what door everybody's going out this morning, but I have a pile at the front with me. Um, so I'll try to set them somewhere where you can lift one if you wish uh, to avail of that. Well, if you have your Bible with you, can you please turn to the book of Judges uh, with me um, this morning? And Judges chapter 13 um, is where we're going to focus our minds today. Uh, and I want to read the entire chapter. So this is uh, the word of the Lord. Judges 13. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and not eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, a man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may eat of anything, she may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, 
Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. So reads God's Word. Let's uh, pause and ask for God's help before we explore this passage together. Our Father, we praise you for your Word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to his people. And we ask this morning that as we pause to consider this passage, that we would hear your voice. We pray that you would challenge and comfort us in equal measure, and that by the power of your Spirit, you would equip us to serve your Son faithfully for your honor and for your glory, because we pray it in his name. Amen. On the 30th of October 2001, the BBC News website ran the story of a lady named Pip Morris. At the age of only 16, Pip Morris experienced premature menopause and was left infertile. She was told by the medics that she had no chance of having children. It would never happen. Pip recounted, It was devastating because it's not just the fertility side of things. It's your life's pattern that's been put out of sync. When you grow up, you say, I'll have children and I'll do this at this stage and that at that stage. And suddenly you're told, you won't. Can you imagine how crushing it must have been for a teenage girl to be told that her dream of mothering children would never be realized? Except it was. Pip Morris confounded medics by going on to have two children. One doctor was particularly candid, confessing that the reason for Pip conceiving was simply unknown. Pip said, all these years I'd come to terms with the fact that I couldn't have children, and now I was told I could. Can you imagine her joy at this turnaround? It, it is a miracle. And as we enter Scripture's narrative concerning Samson in Judges 13, we encounter another barren woman who is told that she too will bear a son. We meet another woman who has despair become delight at the news that she will no longer be barren. 
essentially we have another miracle birth here in Judges 13. And as we explore this miracle, we will see this miracle announced, analyzed, and accomplished. Announced, analyzed, and accomplished. First, we see the miracle announced. The miracle announced. The structure of the book of Judges is like a spiral. The same thing happens again and again and again and again. And I say a spiral rather than a circle because each time the pattern repeats itself, there's this steady decline. It gets worse and worse and worse. The pattern has four main elements. Israel sinned before God. God permits oppression of Israel by their enemies. Israel cries out to God for rescue. And God sends a judge to rescue. Israel sin, Israel are oppressed, Israel cry out, Israel are saved. And once Israel is rescued, well, they sin again and they cry out again and the pattern repeats itself over and over and over. But as I said, there's this steady decline. Each time the pattern occurs, it's a little bit worse. So much so that by the time we reach Judges 13, there's actually no repentance from Israel. They, they do not cry out for help. Look at verse 1 with me. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There's no repentance here. And so what transpires in the rest of Judges 13 is God in his grace acting to rescue his people. And he does so without their cry for help. This is the God we know, the God we love, the God we serve, the God of grace, the God who takes the initiative, the God who comes after us before we even realize we need him to come and rescue us. We should delight in that this morning, delight in that knowledge. If we are a Christian, this is our God. The one who doesn't wait until we're ready for him. The one who comes pursuing us. And if you happen to be here this morning or you're listening online and you're not a Christian, I ask you to explore whether God is moving towards you today as you hear his word read and proclaimed. But as God acts in this passage, we are introduced to uh, two of the main characters in this chapter, Manoah and his wife, and we're introduced to them in verse 2. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. We're going to have more to say about Manoah in our second point this morning. But the main thing the narrator wants us to see at this point is that they are barren. Manoah and his wife have no children, and it's reinforced they are barren. They have no children. It's likely to remain that way. That's the circumstances that they find themselves in. That is until the angel of the Lord appears to them. Look at verses 3 through 5 with me. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. 
No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Here is the announcement. And what an announcement it is. This woman must have felt a little bit like Pip Morris whenever she was told she could bear children. Hugely excited and yet pinching herself to make sure it's not a cruel dream. And this announcement from the angel of the Lord comes with some instructions. The child is to be a Nazarite from the womb. A Nazarite was simply someone who had made a vow to be set apart or devoted to God. Samson didn't have a choice. God had set him apart from the womb. He had chosen him. Notice, however, that Samson's mother has to abide by the Nazarite vow while she carries Samson in her womb. She has to avoid wine, unclean food, and cutting her hair, although that didn't need to be stated explicitly for women in that culture. It would be easy to breeze on past this announcement, but we must pause here because here we have an implicit defense that a fetus in the womb is a distinct person. This baby boy is being set apart by God in the womb. His mother has to abide by these Nazarite laws before he is born so that he can abide by these Nazarite laws. This is a person. A distinct human in the womb, not a mere fetus. And so it is with all life in the womb. Understandably, the excited woman wants to share this news with her husband. And so she does. Look at verses 6 and 7. The woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. For Manoah and his wife, despair has become delight, as the miracle is announced. This is one of the good and great things about our God. He makes announcements beforehand of all that he is going to bring about. One of my abiding memories uh, from traveling through airports as a child is the voice at the end of the moving walkways. Please be ready to push your trolley over the ramp. Uh, and I used to drive whoever I traveled with mad because as a child, as soon as I heard that, I repeated that the whole way through the rest of the airport. Please be ready to push your trolley over the ramp. Uh, since moving to Antrim, I no longer have to go to the airport to experience this. The Tesco in Antrim has a moving walkway going up to the first floor. And so all I need to do is run around to Tesco and I can hear that familiar sound again. But that announcement that the end of the walkway is coming. Get ready to push your trolley with the 17 suitcases hard to get it up over the ramp at the end. The announcement. And, and here is God's immeasurable kindness to his people. He always announces his solutions to his people's problems. It's very fitting that we've sang that song, True and Better, already this morning, because we see it again and again as we see God announcing his solutions. In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve's sin, God announces the judgment and salvation that he will exact. 
In creating a people for his own glory, God announces to a barren Abraham and Sarah that they will have descendants as numerous as the stars. In leading his people out of slavery from Egypt, God announces the way of salvation via a Passover lamb through Moses. Again and again and again, God announces his solutions to his people's problems. Right up to the announcement of his solution to humanity's greatest problem. Angels appearing to childless women should sound very familiar since it is the Christmas nativity narrative. First, elderly Elizabeth. Second, unmarried Mary. And just as Israel needed saving in the days of judges, so God announces his miracle to begin that rescue. And when humanity then stood in need of a savior from sin, God announces his miracle. The one who will save his people from their sin. God always tells us what he's going to do, and then he comes through on that. And so my question for you this morning is, are you trusting in God's solution for your greatest problem? Are you trusting in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? The the miracle has been announced, and the question for us is, have we heard it, and have we responded? Or are we in danger of tripping over the ramp that's coming? The miracle announced. Second, we see the miracle analyzed. The miracle analyzed. The the narrator of Judges clearly wants us to pick up on the contrast between Manoah and his wife. Manoah might be named while his wife remains nameless, but his wife is the person we should seek to emulate. As one commentator points out, the narrator casts Manoah as a comical figure bound by ignorance and obtuseness. More simply, as I spoke with some people in Antrim about the picture of Manoah here in this passage, they suggested he's something of a doofus. He just doesn't get it. On the one hand, his wife is portrayed as calm, collected, knowledgeable, theologically aware, downright sensible. And Manoah, he's just lost. But don't take my word for it. Look at the passage with me and see the narrator depicting him in that way. Look at verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. Despite sending his angel to the woman with very specific instructions, God is petitioned by Manoah to speak again. Either Manoah doesn't trust his wife or he doesn't trust his God. Neither of those options are very good. Yet, as we've mentioned, God is gracious. And so he both hears and answers Manoah's prayer. Look at verses 9 and 10. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. You cannot tell me that God does not have a sense of humor. 
Manoah prays, God, my wife told me that a man came from you the other day and told her we were to have a child. And apparently there's some instructions with that as well. Any chance you could send him again? To which God responds by sending his angel to Manoah's wife when she's not with him again. And it still doesn't click with Manoah. Look at verses 11 to 14. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah interrogates the angel and gets absolutely no new information. All that his wife had told him is all that the angel repeats. The narrator relays the manner in which Manoah analyzed this miracle. And he doesn't come out looking very well, does he? Horror is not a genre of film that I'm particularly enamored with, but I've seen a few horror movies and I've caught snippets of adverts on TV of other horror movies. And there's one feature of horror movies that is persistently humorous. An individual all alone in a dark house always goes to explore the strange sound in the other room. And as you're watching, you're screaming, don't do it. It's ridiculous. Stay away. Well, before we go lambasting horror movie actors, or indeed Manoah, perhaps we need to take a look at ourselves. How often do we behave like them? Perhaps I'm speaking only for myself, but I doubt it. How often do we neglect the revelation that God has given us, and we go seeking for more? I know your word says, but does it really? How often do we neglect what we really know about God and go questioning him for answers? I know you're faithful, but show me. How often are we bound by our own ignorance? The Apostle Peter is clear in 2 Peter chapter 1. God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. In our Bibles, we have the very words of God breathed out by him. They are profitable for us as Christians. And despite our ignorance and our stupidity, God has given us and continues to give us all that we need to live life to his glory and for our own good. This, says Dale Ralph Davies, is grace. Grace greater than all our sin. Grace greater than all our stupidity. Grace greater than all our density. So often we're like Manoah. Is this really what it says? Is this really what is meant to happen? Perhaps this morning you, like me, need to repent for all of the ways in which you have irreverently analyzed all that God has told us. And the reason we need to repent is because God always accomplishes his miracle. 
And that's the third thing we see in this passage, the miracle accomplished. Now, before we see the miracle accomplished, the messenger sent by God reveals himself. Look at verses 15 through to 19. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rocks to the Lord, to the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching. Who exactly is this angel? Well, it may simply be an angel sent by God, or it could be the pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity, the Son. I favor that second option. I think that the angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Son, especially given his name is too wonderful for Manoah to hear. But either way, this messenger comes from God, and his message is thus from God. And finally, the penny seems to be dropping for Manoah. Look at verse 20. And when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. Falling on their faces is an act of worship. Manoah and his wife realize they've been in the presence of the divine. They, and particularly Manoah, seem to be grasping something of the gravity of what they are experiencing. The miraculous is taking place. And then suddenly the immensity of it all reveals Manoah's true colors again. He remains comically ignorant. Look at verses 21 and 22. Then the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. Now theologically, Manoah is correct. No one can see God and live. But he has not been listening to all that God has said. And it's down to Manoah's wife to exhibit her superior qualities again. Look at verse 23. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. It is basic common sense, but that too is a gift from God. If God meant to kill us, reasons Manoah's wife, he would not have promised Israel's next deliverer to be born to us. And Manoah's wife was right. Look at verse 24 and 25. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahana, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtaol. The miracle is accomplished. A couple of years ago, I, I finished reading all of Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes stories. It took me a couple of years reading the stories on and off to make it through all 60 Sherlock Holmes stories. I wonder, are you aware that there's one thing that happens in every single story? The answer? Sherlock always solves the case. 
Sherlock Holmes has a 100% record. 60 out of 60 cases solved. Never once does a case remain unsolved. And it may not seem like it at the moment, but God will also have a 100% record. Not with respect to solving cases, rather with keeping his promises. It's a very small phrase in a lengthy chapter, but in verse 24, the woman bore a son. That is a monumental statement. God announced that miracle. Manoah analyzed it. And in his power and in his greatness, God accomplishes it. God keeps his promise. And not only did God keep this personal promise to Manoah and his wife, but he keeps his global promise to his people. In a majority of the books in the Old Testament, there's an explicit promise of a coming Savior. In all of the books, there's an implicit promise of a coming Savior. All of these promises are made by God, and all of those promises are kept by God. The angel announces it to Mary. Husband Joseph doubts it a little bit. But God keeps it. He sends his son, Jesus Christ. As we often sing, and we're going to sing in just a moment, he flowers each promise of his word. Obviously, not all of these promises have been kept just yet. But they will be. Judges 13 is unique in the book of Judges. For no other judge are we given this kind of background detail to their birth and to their calling. Uh, and that should pause us to, uh, cause us to pause and to consider why this might be the case. Uh, and here's my suggestion to you this morning. God was displaying his powerful grace for all to see. He was providing a deliverer before Israel cried out for one. He was bringing his plans to fruition. He was taking helpless and obscure people and bringing his salvation through their offspring. God is explaining to us through the book of Judges that salvation belongs to him and to him alone. Dale Ralph Davies wisely warns, we must not allow our focus on the Savior God raises up to eclipse the God who saves. We must not allow our focus on Samson to eclipse the God who sent him. And so in Judges 13, in all of the Samson narrative and all of the other narratives that come in Scripture, we must never forget that it is first and foremost about God saving his people. Because that is the real miracle. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you that you are indeed a God who saves. A God who acts first to rescue his people from the trouble that they're in. We thank you for how we have seen that in Judges 13 your gracious initiative to rescue your people. 
And for those of us who are Christians today, we praise you that that has been our experience and that we are now your people. We ask that you'd help us to treasure that truth, to rest in that, and to proclaim that the Lord is our salvation. Amen. Well, we're going to respond to God's word by standing and singing that song that I've just uh, referred to, The Lord is My Salvation. Let's stand and sing together uh, before we participate in communion and continue to remember the God who saves.